Hi everyone, welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint. And I'm Julian Taylor. And welcome to our podcast. Welcome back to the Two Bald Guys Talking Safety podcast. Today, once again, we have a guest. So now we're three, but not bald guys talking safety. We'd like to welcome James McPherson here from the Rebranding Safety podcast. James, how are you? I'm not too bad, Langdon. Thank you very much. Why is it called the Two Bald Guys podcast? I'm not sure. You know, to be honest, if this was, for some of us, a God-given right to be yeah. bald. Yeah. It wasn't a choice. It was just, you know, we were, what is it, Jules? What is it you always say? Follically challenged, I believe. I, I was just going to say, Langdon, actually, James, you are a first on this podcast. You're probably the first person who uses any form of hair products to, to have appeared on this <laughs> Still appeared on this podcast. Oh, thank you. What multiple hairs? I've got multiple hairs. It's what many of us long for, but you know we're never actually able to achieve. So, you know, kudos. If if anything, maybe you're more advanced as a human race, and we just don't know it yet. Maybe we're not meant to have hair. It's like the brain strength just grows so much and just. And, and what's really, well, I can't speak for you, Jules, but what's really unfortunate is I think about mine and I started shaving it uh, 2004, actually, right when I graduated high school, because I realized the stuff wasn't coming back. No. <laughs> I, think, I, I, think, I think the rule is really simple is go gracefully in there because you look ridiculous. If you try and hide it and cover it over, you're better off just, just get rid of it. Yeah. I've always said to my wife, if the back goes, if the back starts to go, the whole thing's coming off. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah. that. That is what you do. And what's really uh, – I, <laughs> I saw a – oh, gosh, I don't even think about this. So uh, this was like a, in the last week. My daughter was – my oldest was looking at some pictures, and she saw a, a picture of me. And I was – I don't know. It was probably – I was in high school, so maybe oh two. And she was like, Daddy, is that you? And I said, Yeah. She kind of stopped. You had hair and she's seen it before, but she's never really paid attention. And she said, I don't guess. And she said something to my wife and she was like, yeah, you know, yeah, Charlotte K. I, I've actually never known daddy with hair. It probably looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're diving into the ball, but you know, just thinking about it, I was, I mean, I, part of me was offended, but part of me was like, well, I, you know, it is what it is at this point. But but your, your your policy is right, James. If it's going, just just get rid. Get rid, yeah. yeah. Don't fight it. Anyway, I derailed us there, gents. Sorry about that. That's no. That's what we truly cherish. Is that's part of my favorite part. It's just the little derails that get to a point, and if it doesn't get there, it's fine. It's the best fine. bits, mate. Best bits. <laughs> exactly. But we uh, definitely appreciate you joining us today and look forward to the next few minutes. Um, is there anything, as we think about it, I'd like to learn a little bit about rebranding safety. You know, as we think about from the perspective we're going to get into it with contractor management. But won't you tell us a little bit about, about your podcast as well? Yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> I've been uh, in safety for uh, just over a decade um, and always kind of had a... I kind of love hate relationship with it is like I loved it and everyone else hated it in a way. Um, so the, he's got a brand, particularly in England. I don't know what it's like run. I haven't really worked in safety outside of uh, the UK, but in, uh, in Britain, it's, it's got this brand. It's this way that, you know, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a bricking. All oh, right, cool. Yeah. What do you do? I'm a sparky. Oh yeah. Cool. What do you do? I'm in safety. Oh, I'm in safety. Oh. Straight away. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's just yeah. it, it's just it, it's like immediate reaction, um, and that always what pissed me off. If I'm honest, you know, I'd play rugby if I decided to miss a tackle accidentally, I'd be like, "Oh, did you risk a sister?" And it, it just frustrated me that I was like, "Hang on a minute, that's not." That's not how I see my job. And I actually saw my job as pretty cool um, and quite quite interesting, quite challenging, and actually quite beneficial to the business. So. There was that frustration. There was another frustration with my profession itself in that I think the work that we did has created that brand and that perception where we, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It, we produced it. Um, so we have to take some accountability there. And, and, and then ultimately the fact that really for the decade that I've been in safety, at least is, is probably the, the decade that we've not 
achieved anything really um in that for the last kind of over 10 years in safety nothing massively has improved really and if anything i think we could argue that actually you're just kind of sitting there waiting for something to happen like grenfell would be a good example of that um the fatality rates haven't changed you know the health and, and mental health rates are getting worse if anything um so there was just this massive amount of frustration with my career my profession so we just started moaning about it uh on a microphone well actually on my old phone um i started to just started moaning about it um, so for the first six months, rebranding safety, at least the first six months, rebranding safety was pretty much just therapy for me. I would be sitting downstairs, read a magazine, get pissed off, go upstairs, mo- turn the microphone on and moan about it. I would, something would happen at work. I'd come home, I'd moan about it. And that was literally the first six months to a year of the podcast. Then we started having guests on and then we got into the world of like new view, old view. And we did a big kind of, deep dive into that and it became quite popular then we had youtube add on to it and then ultimately in 2022 it led into risk fluent which is the consultancy so we spent four years on rebounding safety talking the talk and now we're gonna have to go out and and walk the talk so to speak um and actually start doing what we talk about no that's awesome and i think that's a good i think that's a great point because you know so i don't know if you and i talked about it previously but i I think we're probably roughly around the same age. And when I came out, so when I, when I finished my undergrad, it was biology and I was in between, I was waiting to hopefully do optometry school, but then a a friend of mine was an industrial hygienist. Long story short, I ended up getting my master's in occupational health and safety, industrial hygiene. And likewise, you know, you you come out and you're like, Oh, it's a, it's a great profession. But when you start talking to people, Oh, you're OSHA. Mm, No, um, not that not that there's anything wrong with that. I have, you know, friends that work at OSHA, but it's it's just no, that's not me. And you do think about it. I when I went to work for UL Global Company, you hit something on the nail on the head. And Jules and I've talked about it. It's very much incident rates did a great thing over the last 20 years, they dropped, but then all of a sudden they plateaued. For any progressive world, they've plateaued. But you see the the focus on fatalities, it hasn't plateaued if anything you know this uh, what was it 21 our numbers in the u.s went up a little bit valid you know some of the COVID. you know there is some slight outliers but at the same time there's not so i think that's a that in and of itself i know that's not our our topic for the day but that in and of itself i think is it's very worthwhile because improvements are being made in certain aspects but really there's still a lot more that can be done for the big picture. So I no, that's very, very interesting. I always compare it to like the, the finance and economy world. If you were assuming that we think our, our average in the UK is 140, 130, 140 people die a year. If we were to say that was like a 15% interest rate, Right. If we were like for 10 years, we were like, yeah, still, still a pretty high interest rate, but you know, it's not got worse. We would we would be uproar. We would be like, new government, get this out. We would just absolutely be going mad about it. The safety profession, we're like, Whoop, nothing went wrong this year. Nice one, good lad. Let's celebrate, pat ourselves on the back, and move on. It's just frustrating, isn't it, James? It's and 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 I'm the same as you. It's you 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 almost have that cringe moment, don't you, when you say I'm in safety, when you're just waiting for the response that's going to come back your way, um, and it's. The frustration is some of the things that even safety professionals do that reinforce that perception, isn't it? By by getting overly anal about things and 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 sort of and not making it about people. That's my biggest frustration is we don't make it about people, whether that's leaders or whether it's people on the shop floor. We make it about processes. Um, and, and actually, you can have all the process. We've said this so many times, haven't we, Lane? You can have all the process in the world. But actually, if people aren't bought into it, you're wasting your time. Um, it's nothing will change. Um, it's and, and and I suppose to your point of the last few years, I was I was listening to your pod this week with Steve Harris, um, and and I thought there were some really interesting points came out, um, and and one of them was the Judith Hackett quote, which you were talking about, which was we don't invent new ways of of hurting people. 
and you were talking and well i'll let you 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 sort of tell tell the listeners uh sort of the, the sort of a, the analogy that or the thing that you lined up to that which was around silica yeah, I, I actually stole this off Colin Nottage. Uh, so um, he runs another podcast called the Interesting Health and Safety Podcast, and uh, we we work quite closely with him. Um, and he's become over the years a bit of a dust expert, so to speak. He's on like the the, the channel, the chair or panel. I can't remember what it is. And um, and I remember my mind being a bit blown when he when he told me this. But essentially, the Egyptians knew about silica when they built the pyramids, so they they'd actually it implemented mitigations where like you're only allowed to cut stone for so much time or whatever there was like a job rotation or something like that and and i just think i remember back when the irsh or another organization was really pushing silica and i remember thinking oh this is like a new hazard that we've just discovered <laughs> like no the egyptians knew about it like jesus christ it you know the world that the the, the old historical society that talked in basically the old version of emojis they knew about about silica and we have just not spoke about it for the last like god knows how many years and now we're like dust we need to talk about dust and and it's just yeah it's mind-blowing and then Again, we had on uh, Vincent Butler on the podcast as well, which if, if, if you're wanting to hear more about like the statistics side of things, Vincent is quite prolific on LinkedIn for really kind of eye-opening comments on, on posts, but he promotes the hazard campaign i think it is um they produce a report called the whole story report and and they paint a picture that's a hell of a lot worse than what the hse will put out and um and he actually also said there's like a black and white video of people talking about silica and construction dust from like i don't know when black and white videos were around but um yeah we've known about this stuff for a very long time except we yeah, and I mean, again, I, I do think it's worth caveating that it's really easy to stand on a podcast and moan about the safety profession. Like, it's a really hard job what we do. It's a really hard job. We have to remember so much. We have to think about so much. We're pulled in so many different directions. There's so many different pressures, which I think will flow quite nicely onto uh, contractors in a bit. But it's easy to stand here and it's easy for me to have our podcast and say everyone's shit and so on. And yes, there are some people that do a really crap job at safety, but there's a hell of a lot of people out there that are trying their damnedest to do it right. I, th- I think, I think that's a, a, a mega point, James, as well, which is I, I was, I was talking at a safety show last week and there were 70, 80 people there. And, and there are so many people who are so committed to doing this and doing it for the right reasons and it's the challenges they face. And one of the big questions we got, and, and again, your your thoughts would be interesting here, was I've been been working in this place for six months. How, how do I get the leadership to buy into this? Because they're just not buying into it. Um, and it's those kind of challenges. Those are the frustrations as a safety professional in that you're trying to do the right things. And actually, we point it out all the time, it's the leadership is so fundamental, isn't it? If, if that's not behind you, you, you're always struggling to to sort of make safety a priority, aren't you? Yeah, I, at least it is phenomenally hard because I think if you, as a consultant now, we predominantly talk to the MD of the business or at least a senior position in the business because we're dealing with smaller businesses. So we kind of worm our way into the board. But prior to being self-employed, I've spent my entire career trying to influence a leadership team whilst not being allowed in that room at the same time. So it's really, really hard. And and ultimately, if you I think I think the safety profession does have to suck up a little bit and just accept that, you know, it, it is a business exists to make money. Every business exists to make money. Even even the police force, like they all exist to turn over money and and if it's not a not-for-profit, they exist to make profit. No one starts a business to not make profit, right? And safety... Excuse me. The dog, dog, is, the dog is contributing. It's great. Yeah, he, He's really passionate about this point. I have to sometimes <laughs> just rein him in because he's just so hard to control. Yeah. Leadership. 
um, but but ultimately, I think a business exists to make profit. So when we start going, safety should be our first priority. If safety is your first priority, you can go bust, man. Like so, it, it's like we have to accept that safety is inherently slower, more focused. Sometimes it's a cost as well. So I do think we have to accept that. Once we acknowledge that point, I think then we it enables us to start being reasonable and practicable. Which, if we go back to the health and safety workouts, what we were always supposed to be, never supposed to be gold standard, ever. Never meant to be the safest company ever in the whole entire world. Um, it's just meant to be reasonable and practicable risk management. That's supposed to be what it's about. And we, I think we lost touch of that. Um, and it's become a little bit about, I call it, I call it like safety for scouts, which is just like collecting loads of badges. Um, but yeah, I do think we have to accept that it, safety can't be a top priority but it should definitely be a consideration within that risk management sphere because i think it'd be equally devastating for a bunch of employees to lose their job tomorrow as it would be for one of them to to be seriously harmed i think a lot of people oh no i'd rather lose your job than die well yeah in hindsight you would but like but in in that moment it would be devastating if i got laid off tomorrow yeah i'm I'm really pleased you've just said what you've just said, James, because that's exactly what I said to the guy. Um, that was my response was actually the first thing you've got to understand is businesses are there normally to make money. Um, and, and actually, you've got to try and tap into that in some way in terms of how can safety support the business in being profitable and being successful, because that's the first thing we've got to do. Um, and it's that pragmatic answer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I do think picking your battles as well. Like if you're, if you're, if we, if if I'm having a, just today I had a conversation with a customer. We're doing quite a risky job, and it, and we're like, oh, we need to get the, the the process. We need to get this done by the end of the day. And I'm like, well, actually, this is a this is a chunky job here. Like if this went wrong, something serious. Going on, we need to rein it in. But tomorrow when we're talking about slips in reception, I might be like. You know, okay, cool. We can take take our time a little bit, or we can rush or whatever. Like picking your battles and. and I, I suppose I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of likelihood versus severity because I'll be there forever. But, you know, I, we tend to be led on severity instead of likelihood because I think severity for me should lead the conversation. But picking your battles, I think, is um, is a big part of that. Sorry, Langdon, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I, I think that's great. And kind of slightly shifting a little bit because I think, I think where we're going is an excellent point. But I want to hit to a topic – and I think it goes to that same thing you just said, honestly, when we think about it from, cause it's, it's likewise here, you know, I used to show a slide and it was like, you know, one process, three goals, health and safety, quality, productivity, they equal profits. And I totally agree because without, you know, and that's where we conversation, uh, whatever you want to call it, safety culture. I never liked safety culture, still don't because that's, you know, whatever, we won't go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> but I think it does go to that point of how often do we realize the importance of, of what we're doing. And if, if the operation is healthy and safe, if we're trying to be as safe as we can be while still being productive, we're going to hit hopefully that profitable end game that we all look for. And kind of thinking about that in, in the topic of what we're uh, going to discuss today, contractor management. I know that's something you've been working a lot on. And to that end game, that end goal of always still trying to stay profitable, trying to manage your contractors. What are your, what are some thoughts you have around that? There's a little bit that I know that I would say from a U.S. perspective, maybe even versus U.K., but I would be interested to hear just kind of some initial thoughts you have from the U.K. perspective, and we can maybe paint a little bit of the North America side as well. Yeah, sure. So we, we predominantly work with the contractor that's doing the work. So we because we work with small to medium-sized businesses, most of the time our customer is having a deal with the principal contractor, if you're talking CDM world, but ultimately the, the customer, the big companies. And um, I do – to. to I suppose to be frank, it would be like there's this world where you've got the head of safety for insert household brand name here that we all know, for example, that like we do safety like this and this is how we talk on LinkedIn and keynotes at the expo and stuff. And then you've got this world where the pressure that they put on their subcontractor 
that's a race to the bottom to be the cheapest that, that they can do because you've got to make profit, but then also achieve these phenomenally high safety standards or not even safety standards, just badges and accreditations. It's just unbelievable. If we were to take one example of in the UK, we have SSIP, which is, as, as a notion, I think SSIP makes a lot of sense and I do think it it's a good thing, but how it is utilised in the UK is just horrible for small businesses in that I had a meeting today where we ended up talking about this and they say and they're they're told by big tenders the more SSIP accreditations you have the more likely you are to win the tender they're the same they're all the same (laughs) it's just unbelievable that's like saying having ISO 45001 audited by this company but if you have it audited by 20 different companies you're a better one no it's the same thing um but but all of these companies that's just to use one example of one thing they're forced to have this scout badge like sash over their shoulder of all of these badges which are all the same thing. And and that is a cost to those companies. So like Chaz is one example, will cost you 500 quid to be, I think about 500 quid to be in Chaz. And then another couple hundred quid to be accredited by Chaz. And then if you want silver, because that tender says we only accept silver, that's another couple of hundred quid. And then you go to tender for another company and they go, oh, we don't like Chaz, we like construction line. So you need platinum construction line. That's another six, seven, and 800 quid. And then we're forcing that person to do a good job and also be cheap and then also be safe. Then you get a consultant turn up and go, oh, uh, you know, we're actually going to need a crane for that. Well, that's another grand. You just see their profit margins disappear within seconds. It's challenging, isn't it? it, And I, I love your point, James, which is about badges. And I've said this for a while about even about things like ISO 45001. I was talking to a food manufacturing group the other day who um, they've got good safety systems in place, but their customers are saying, oh, you need 45,001. If you don't have 45,001, we'll take the business somewhere else. And and actually, I've said for a long time, 45,001 doesn't mean you're going to be any safer just because you got that accreditation than you were beforehand. It's it's about ticking boxes, isn't it? I, I always kind of, when, when, when we talk to our customers who, like I say, are kind of the contractor in this, we, I always, when they say, oh, we want to get 45,000, there's two ways to do 45, any accreditation. There's two ways to do any accreditation. You do it in the spirit of that accreditation or you can do it to the letter of that accreditation. If you do it to the letter, you're just ticking boxes and collecting paperwork. You need to make sure you get a company auditing you that also have that mentality. But if you do it in the spirit of it, I do think it will be a better company because think particularly 45,001 is a lot better than 18. 18 was terrible. I passed 18 by taking a guy out for dinner later on and buying him a few beers, but you, you probably can't get away with that anymore. Um, but yeah, from, from a subcontractor point of view, I do think if you do ISO 45,001 to the spirit of it, it is good. The the other side of it with these with the smaller subcontractors, contractor type businesses, is I find that the irony of this is that when we're talking about new, more people centered way of looking at safety, do you know what? I my smaller companies they get it, they really get it, and they really put the person to the center of what they do. Um, why? Because. That person is Steve, who's worked for me for 20 years. And I know Steve. He actually, we actually used to work together at this last company. If you go to like Vodafone or Tesco, it's not Steve. It's a number because of the inherent size of them. So these smaller companies, they actually get it. They really do get this people-centered safety. But in this big supply chain world where we're all competing against each other and the only way to compete is to be the cheapest, they're, they're in a rock and a hard place. You know, and it, it's interesting, right? Because here in the States, for example, in th- I mean, I'm not going to go down the, you know, the, the full, I guess, um, aspect, but treat, if, if you treat your contractor as you would a full-time employee, in theory, everything would be smooth. And I think you see, given, let me rephrase that, <laughs> given that your processes are good, you know, you're, you're into the people as we've been alluding to, you know, you have the, a good organization of wanting to truly implement health and safety throughout. If, if you treat a contractor that way, 
or you know even further down subs to you're going to start you you would be positive and i think even you know i spent some time working in the insurance realm doing risk services so if you had that organization you know i'm a large whatever and i hire a contractor to manage and i treat them as such and i'm instilling that they are being going through all the same training all the same processes blah blah is my full time even as the insurance, when I come in, I have to ensure that they have their own and then the workplace. So in theory, they would be more, you know, more trained, more well-versed for the job. But I think to your point, and it's interesting what you just said, talking about the large, you know, the large scale thing about from Tesco Vodafone. It's like you have the really large that might monitor the way they should, might not. And then you have the really, really small that they care because they are really small. And then you have that in between where, I mean, it's, I'm not going to say wild, wild west, as we would say here, but to a certain extent, it's kind of, it is, you know, what, what is the management? Are we, are we adhering to what we should to make sure that they are ready to do the job, excuse me, on a daily basis? Are we instilling, you know, the same thoroughness for them? And I, I think that's where, that's where I see here, at least. I feel like there's a lot of gaps sometimes. Well, I just want the only thing that kind of keeps coming back to my head is if we, if we kind of, I remember once we were working with like a, a pretty big organization, probably a medium to large size organization, competing with some big brands like they're in the world of competing with like JCB and stuff like that. So they're, they're, they're a big company and they're really competing with some big monsters. And and we were in this meeting and we were having a conversation and we were saying the sales team are equally involved in the safety of the workforce as, uh, as anything else. And, and I remember that the, the kind of head of, of, uh, the business was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Don't, how, how is sales impacting, impacting the, the shop floor? And I do think that having a bit of more of a systems thinking way of, of approaching your organization is understanding that when you're quoting a job or when you're selling loads of work, if you're selling shit loads of stuff and you're absolutely smashing all your targets, but then the head of ops is telling the ops team to slow down and focus on safety, but they can't slow down because the sales man's absolutely nailing his job and there's sales going through the roof. It's a trade-off. It's it's a it's the two competing against each other, um, and and to put that in its simplest terms, I've been in an environment where we had a no phone in the car rule, where the rule was you had to put your phone turned off in the boot of the car. I don't know why you had to put it in the boot and turn it off, but whatever. Um, that was the rule that we got from our American head office. James, we were trying to control your temptation. Sorry, I just had to. It's it your temptation. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. So had to do that. Um, but then the sales department, who were pr- predominantly most of our drivers, also had the target to never miss a phone call. <laughs> it's a trade-off between the two. Which rule do you think was broken? I'm telling you now, it wasn't the sales rule that was broken because my bonus and pay salary was connected to that sales KPI. So the, the two are connected with each other. So if we think about it in the context of, of a contractor, it starts in the boardroom or it starts we're having that conversation about what's our budget. The second we go, our budget is as cheap as possible. You need to accept that there is a risk to that because safety is slow and it is costly. So if you want a contractor that's doing a better job, that's taking it seriously, then they're going to cost more money, in my opinion. In its simplest form. I think it'll cost more money. So if you're in that boardroom and you're saying, yeah, we're going to build this extension on the side of the warehouse or we're going to have these contractors in, if your primary driver on that tender is as cheap as possible, you, you pay for what you get. There's a reason. I totally agree. I've, uh, I mean, we've we've talked about it before, Land. I think that's a, a brilliant point, James, which is the, the principal contractor, the customer has got a responsibility, haven't they? Um, the, their behaviours will 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 subsequently drive the behaviors of the contractor we talk about behavior breeds behavior um and and again in any organization it's those leadership behaviors isn't it that can be quite unconscious sometimes can't they but actually if 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 the leadership is saying sales 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 
actually, what are people going to focus on? They're not going to focus on safe sales, are they? They're going to focus on sales. Yeah. And, and the behaviors will just reflect what leadership keeps saying. Um, so the, there's some really unconscious behaviors sometimes, and it's not deliberate, it's not negligent, it's just unconscious behaviors that drive drive the way people are going to react. Yeah, and, and a lot of the time, the, because of the way the safety profession or industry has, has built this world, it, the company, it's, it's, hard, it's phenomenally hard for a safety professional to argue, and I've been there, to argue with a company that we're not, phenom- we're not that safe when they've got all the badges. So I've been in a company that's won Rossma Gold Awards five years in a row, ISO 45001, this badge, that badge, that we had all the badges. And for not genuinely the worst company I've ever worked for in my entire life, the most dangerous company I've worked for, but they had all the badges. The scope for 45,001 was limited to just the offices. It was terrible. Me trying to sit in that meeting now and say, we need to invest in safety. They're like, why? I've got all the badges. So now if you're telling a boardroom, I want to pay more for this contractor because I think they're going to be safer and I think they're going to be better. The boardroom turn around and go, well, they've all got the same badges, so I don't. They're all accredited to the same standard, so I don't understand why we don't go for the cheaper one. We've kind of built this rod for our own back. It's really difficult place for us to argue to be better when all our measurements for better are achieved by everyone in a way. Well, but it's it's almost like that whole maturity curve thing, though, isn't it, James? Where actually people bang on about being compliant, and compliant is is kind of pretty average really isn't it a lot of the time and it's it's actually what's the value then of of actually striving to be sort of excellent or striving to work towards excellent um it's it's challenging to get that message across isn't it so how, how would you deal with getting that message across what are the sort of things that you would say to leadership one you've got two you've got two kind of the world i how I respond to it depends on who I'm talking to. You kind of get to know the person and what's the best way uh, to, to deal with that. And sometimes, sometimes, depending on, on how risky the, the conversation, but sometimes you might have to be a bit like, Do you know what, pick your battles. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fight this one because there's no immediate risk or something like that. I'm not going to fight this conversation. I'm going to let that go. But later on, we're going to deal with something. I think you do have to be a bit of a chess player, being a, a trying to influence boardrooms a little bit, uh, or even just single managing directors. You've got to be quite, yeah, a bit of a chess player, very strategic, which I still struggle with now. One of the most effective ways I find talking to a managing director when I get that phone call saying, James, um, do we really need to wear RPE when we're doing this job? Like, if the answer is yes, then I'll say something's gone wrong and you've got to stand up in court and justify why you haven't wore RPE. How does that conversation go? How do you feel having that con? Yeah, I suppose that's typically a, 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 a semi-effective way of doing it. Some people don't like that because it kind of like we've already hurt someone they're in court, but ultimately we're, we're trying to protect ourselves against a hypothetical situation. So how are you supposed to influence someone on, on something that potentially is just complete bullshit because it may or may not happen? And they've been doing this job for 20, 30 years and it's never happened. becomes even harder when you start talking about things like health risks, like you know cancerous dusts and fumes, when there's no immediate tangible impact if i fall off a ladder oh my god yeah i fell off a ladder but i'm inhaling a bit of fumes from welding it's really hard to to kind of think about that in the context of a managing director when they've got something right and tangible in front of them which is numbers and figures and so on so i do think influencing these people is not one single conversation it is numerous painful conversations and interactions of time after time after time after time which means you've got to be part of a long-term, uh, a long-term relationship. So when we're working with smaller businesses, we really push long-term relationships. We're really, we're really upfront with everyone when we're in that quoting process and we're saying, we're not in this for the short haul. We don't want to come in, do some training, gear, some paperwork and bugger off. We want to spend a lot of time with you. And, and that's painful and it's really hard. So I, I don't think there is a one way of doing it. Um, I don't think putting soft skills on the framework of competency for your accrediting body is going to help that much. I just think it's 
time after time after time conversations and each time you make a decision if that decision is in a way that you as a safety professional think that's not where i wanted it to go then that's one vote so that's the kind of company you'll be but then if you get two that are the way that you wanted it to go that's two votes to, towards a company you want to be so it's just about balance not about winning every battle it's about having more interactions that are positive than it is negative doesn't mean you can never have a negative conversation just more positive ones in my way you know and i think you also brought up something right then that's that's pretty crucial and i it's the aspect of when you even think about it from acute versus chronic. I mean, you, let's say we talk about illness or, you know, it could be whatever, respirable silica, lead, it doesn't matter. How often, and, and even straight from an injury perspective, we think about the acute things because boom, it happened. And there's a quicker ramification that comes from that. And it doesn't matter whether, you know, this, I'll go back, Jules and I always have these discussions. It's funny. I, we even when we get leadership on board, you know, we there we still have unions here and a lot of organizations. So if you have union, which honestly to a certain extent, I mean, don't I'm not trying to be controversial, but it's contractor, it's not, but you know what I mean. Um, they can be viewed like that a lot of times. So even when leadership gets on board, if you have your own hires in in a facility or whatever on a construction site. And then you have your contractors or your unions or, or whatever. Do we look at, oh, wait, that's a contractor. You know, meaning me as an employee, not even take my, saf my safety hat off. My job, hopefully, if we're instilling good health and safety throughout and just everyone understanding, you know, why it matters to, to your point also. Then I'm going to pay attention to them and hopefully they can see that also. So leadership's out the door because that's when the health and safety, it's with the frontline workers. You know, I'm, I'm curious, how are you seeing that being managed also, those relationships? Because, Joe's it's all about camaraderie, you know, had to get it in there. Yes, the, just to warn you, James, he gets that word in every single podcast. Everyone, that's impressive. That's impressive. I do manage every to get, yeah, yeah. I manage to get the word in every podcast as well every single one there you go boom <laughs> done it yes he's done it we we have camaraderie and <laughs> um i i there is if for, for me landed i do think that camaraderie piece is quite interesting interesting word as well actually I, I, i'll ponder on that a little bit but i do think a lot of companies and a lot of safety teams need to hold a mirror up to themselves and really have an honest conversation with themselves. They, they know they 100. If you work for a construct, big construction company in England, you fucking know that you are nowhere near where you want to be. No matter how many collections of Rams and policies, like stop lying to yourself. Like that sounds really horrible and really frank, but you know, collecting a policy for modern slavery ain't doing shit. It is not doing so. So if you as a company want to come out and say, we really care about modern slavery, that doesn't mean you're going to collect a policy off every single brickie. What is asking one house builder, one brickie that's just one guy, self-employed sole trader, to go online and download a health and safety policy, a modern slavery policy, a CSR policy, a supporting your community policy, the list goes on. It's doing nothing. It's achieving dog nothing. So I, I do think there is a little bit of like, you need to just have a frank conversation with yourself and ask yourself what type of company you actually want to be. Yeah. Cause you know, it, it goes back to, you got to be introspective. I mean, it's, you know, so I think about, I mean, Todd Conklin and a friend of mine put it as the, the whole aspect of workers are going to be as safe as they have to be without being too safe in order to still be productive, which honestly it's common sense. I've talked, I can remember, 12 years ago, Jules has seen, I still use the video when I was creating some JHAs, my wife was a nurse and I remember watching her do some lifts. I was recording it and, and I used to, you know, if she'd complain about, not complain, let me rephrase that. Sorry, honey. If she would make comments about pains or whatnot, why do you do that? You know, have you thought about, can you get help? Can you do this or that? And it always came back to the same comment, which was what he just said. Langdon, I have X amount of time. I have to take care of 15 people. I do what I have to do to get the job done. And how many times do we see that, especially 
when you think about contractors, if they're coming in, they're going to be there for a little while and then they're gone and their job changes drastically every day. Did you read your JHA? Yeah, I read it. It was good. Let's go. My quick risk assessment. And that's the, uh, to me, that's it. It's, are we putting the focus and it's just what you said. How often do we take that real look as us as a safety team to then say, well, crap, if I'm not showing the importance of this, why do I expect this team that we just brought on to show the same and even more so because there might be unaware. Yeah. And and I do, I think that it's like, I think a lot of people will listen to say Todd, for example, or Deck or any, and, and they'd be like, oh, you know, th- yeah, that's, the, the, or even listen to this conversation. I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. All those sales, that's a bad thing. So what's the answer? Let's just do no sales. Like, no, that's obviously not what we're saying here, is it? Like it, it, it's not about, so if we were to take an example, I'm just thinking of a, of a guy that I know, not, not a customer, I just talked to him a hell of a lot. Um, and he's recently done a job for a big business, a big organization, and had loads of really stringent deadlines. And, and if you don't hit those deadlines, fines off the top of it. So as a, I mean, that would be just lush for me. If I could find BT every time my internet dropped out, I would do it. But apparently that doesn't work like that. But, um, you know, he, he's doing a job. He's being paid to do a job. But if he doesn't achieve that job within this deadline, which is naturally quite a tight deadline, he's going to get fined, which basically means they're going to cut price off of what they pay you after you've done the job. I'm not saying you can't do that as a company. You can do that. It's your prerogative. But accept that it's a trade-off because if something goes wrong on that job, which it did on this job, there was a big issue with dust and there were some other issues, which inherently he had to stop. Give me, um, give what I call the free advice phone line, which is any friend of mine who's in a trade that doesn't pay us, they just ring the free advice phone, uh, phone line and I give them free advice. Um, so he rings about change, what do I do about this? And I tell him what to do about it. And, um, and he's like, cool. But that took time. So he did it. But now he's getting punished six months down the line for doing it, even though that company apparently cares about the safety of their contractors. I'm not saying never set these deadlines or never sell loads or never take a job that is really tight deadline. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is take a risk-based approach and accept that if you're on a tight deadline, you've got fines, it's going to encourage behaviors, cutting corners and rushing and so on. It's having a trade-off. It's, and it's the hypocrisy as well, isn't it, James? It's those those are the same companies who'll have the great big boards next to the motorway that say no incident since. Um, and there's, uh, which is just, I mean, my favourite word is, is is bollocks, and I think that is just an utter load of of, of those. Um, so um, I think there's a hypocrisy in terms of the way some of the big companies work, um, and they've they've got to start. It's thinking about how we start to change that. Why is it like we've got the job, then we've got the safety bits of the job, and then we've got the quality bit of the job? We're doing some really interesting work with a customer at the moment where it's a really fascinating industry in that it's job and knock. So for anyone that doesn't know what that means, basically you've got the job for the day. The quicker you get that job done, you get paid the same thing and then you get to go home. So it, from a behavioral point of view, it encouraged me to go really, really quick, right? Because I can get the job done and off I go. Interestingly, that hasn't had a knock on on the quality of work that they do. So the customer, not the customer, the employees that we had spent a lot of time without doing the job and what we've observed and what we talked to them is all of them actually really cared about the quality of the job and they're doing a really good job of it. The safety stuff was all tagged on the side of it. So we're doing this really interesting project now. We're being like, yeah, it's still job and not, but it's a, it's, it's the job. We're redefining the phrase of job includes some safety aspects to that job. So in the job, the KPI is you've done the immediate task. It's done to set amount of quality and, and you've got these kind of safety KPIs if, if, to use just a, uh, and not, you know, a phraseology that everyone knows that, that all those KPIs, so to speak, are part of the job. So if it's job and knock, you're doing the job, but you've done it without, just to use the dust example again, you've done that without wet drilling or wet cutting and wearing RPE or whatever, then it's not the job. So you're not going home. And I think that almost comes back to the whole safety culture conversation for me, James, which is, I remember having a conversation with a guy years ago about safety culture. And he said, well, everyone stop talking about safety culture. Um, and it's because it separates it out. Safety, if you talk about safety culture, it's not 
business culture, is it? It's, it's, it's a separate thing. And I think you're making a, a fantastic point there. We talk, we talk about safe operations. And actually, it's the same principle, which is actually operations, the quality and safety, it should just be a part of the whole thing, shouldn't it? Where this is our approach to the way that we do things. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it to a simplest form, something that all contractor management, to bring it back to like the topic, is all contractor management in the UK is all based around one word, RAMs, risk assessments and method statements. That is everything. It's literally all we do is RAMs, 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 and it's exhausting. And I find it so funny that we've got this quote, quoting and job planning process, and then we've got RAMs. Why is the risk assessment and method statement not part of the planning process? So when we do RAMs improvement or process improvement with all of our customers, if they're producing RAMs, the first thing we're doing is we're rolling this process into the planning process. So we don't even call it a RAM sheet. or We're, we're trying to phase out the, the words RAM with our customers in that we've got a planning process, a job planning process, and that process is risk assessment method statement. Because what is the point in planning a job and then risk assessing it and going, shit, it's got asbestos, so we're going to have to add three grand on top of that budget now. So it's even in its simplest form of how we plan a job and then we do safety on the side of it. It's like, no, we just need to be, this is operations, planning, processing, managing the risk, doing the job, et cetera. It's just planning. And all the way back to what was, uh, what was it, HSG 65? No, it wasn't HSG, whatever. Pla- plan, do, check, act, for example. It doesn't say plan, risk assess, method statement, then do the job. It says plan. That's all it says. I think that's a, another fantastic point. We, we kind of get, I think we're coming up to time here, James, but I think just to sort of, as we wrap up, um, I think key takeaways f- for, for me are that, that some of the, some of the customers, some of the major sort of main contractors need to think a bit more about the way they treat their contractors. That's one of the key messages. It's actually making safety an integral part of what we do. The one thing I'd, I'd be really interested to hear from you to wrap up what's the craziest thing you've seen with ha- happen with with contractors on a site <laughs> craziest i've had one recently which i will use just cuz uh it's uh it's recent in my brain is a big contractor had a rule to have hard hats with chin straps which if you're working at height is quite common because you don't want the hard hat to fall off your head right so makes sense this company wasn't working at height. They're like a, a ground-based construction company. But they've got this this rule to say you must wear chin straps, which I was kind of like, okay, where, where's that come from? What's the reasoning? And the, the, the reason was they had uh, kind of a piece of mobile plant that fell over, horrific incident, head stuck between wall and plant. You can imagine the rest yourself, right? So their response was, oh, he wasn't wearing a hard hat, which I found quite funny in that, Trust me, this big JCB, that hard hat ain't doing shit. Can you imagine, like, just the hard hat there between the JCB and the wall and the guy just pops his head out and goes, oh, that was lucky. It just wouldn't work. But anyway, um, so that was the rule. They've gone, right, you've all got to wear chin straps um, so that your hard hat don't fall off when you when the, the plant goes. No conversation around why did the plant fall over, all of this stuff. Anyway, so we go on site and I'm there with my customer who's been forced to wear these chin strap hard hats. And just by chance, we were getting audited by their customer and you're going around, got your chin strap, yeah, got your chin strap, got your chin strap. One guy had a chin strap hard hat with a massive hole in the front of this hard hat. There's a huge hole in it. It had been bashed to shit, this hard hat had, right? The guy just caught around and he went, chin strap, good, walked off. Didn't say nothing about the big hole in his hard hat. Not one thing. And I just sat there, didn't say anything. And I just looked at him and was like, wow, this is, this is, yeah, this is what safety is. This is, this is what we built for ourselves. Cool. Great job. Um, so Bruce Fluent is leaving safety. We're going over to marketing because this is just a joke. <laughs> I, I think you've just looped us really neatly right back to the start there as well, James, which is why safety got this crazy perception in the UK or this negative perception in the UK. And it's because people do things like that, isn't it? They just follow rules religiously. Yeah. 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 
what I just yeah. Honestly, I, it, I had about a three-hour drive home after that, and I was still shaking my head by the time I got home. At least it wasn't going to fall off. I do have a chin strap hard hat because we work on so many different sites. It's just easier for me to have a chin, like the top-of-the-range chin strap because then I can use that everywhere. So it makes sense for me. But for these people, it did, they didn't need it. They didn't even need a hard hat, in my opinion. There was nothing above their head, nothing going to hit them in the head, but whatever. It, 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 I'll just finish with a story as well, which is a perce- about perception of risk. And it was a, a, a guy I know really well who's a, he's head of head of um, safety up at one of the ports in Scotland. And he was telling this story about driving to work during COVID. And he's he's driving behind this car that's weaving all over the place. And, and he goes to get on the slip road to go onto the motorway and goes past this car. And, and it's all about perception of risk. There's a guy sitting in the car all on his own with his full face mask on because obviously you need it in in a car when you're sitting on your own and he's he's texting somebody on his phone at the same time so it's that same thing isn't it wow that it's been a pleasure having you on podcast health and safety podcasting royalty i would say um visiting us for, for for a pod which is great um i'm sure we could keep talking all day i know you like the the joe rogan-esque three-hour session so i think what we will do is we'll get you back again and we'll 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 pick your brains on another subject because i think it's been a a great session langdon do you want to take us away with your with your line we get camaraderie every time what's the other line yeah that that is fitting but james no we definitely appreciate it look forward to talking talking again i know we have a lot of a lot of insight good conversations here so i definitely appreciate it and for everyone else out there for James, you as well, as you're going out into the world, watch your back and watch each other's back, everyone. Thanks. And don't forget your chin strap. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast or visit us at evochicks.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great. And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days, about your normal lives, stay safe out there and watch each other's back. <laughs>